One time our pastor and youth pastor told us if we got like 50 of our friends to come to church for a revival, we, they would eat a live goldfish and they did eat a live goldfish in front of the entire congregation. It was weird. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school Cause my best days would be in the past I know, I know, I know, I know Looking back, it ain't all bad But damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school Hey everybody, welcome to Unlearning Youth Group We're the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group And then we find the good, unlearn the bad And figure out where the heck we go from here we haven't met, my name is Jonathan Crone, and I'm joined by our co-host, Eric Williams. Eric, why don't you go ahead and say hey to the people. Hey, what's up, people? So glad you decided to join us. We're going to have some fun today. So if people haven't listened to the preview episode that we released last week, can you go ahead and give them a quick synopsis? I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here. Yeah. Of what this whole show is about. Well, here's the deal. I don't know for those of you who are in of a certain age, you know, we're thinking millennial and younger. And I know millennial is kind of a wide range, but either you grew up in youth group culture and you had youth group culture or you led youth group culture or both. You might have grown up and then gone on to be a volunteer or a leader like I was in uh, youth group culture. You realize now looking back, now that you've kind of got into the real world, that maybe some of the things you learned in youth group uh are a bit cringy or a bit sketch or, you know, <laughs> maybe don't work out quite the same way as you thought. And so speaking from somebody who's led youth group, who's programmed youth groups and student ministries, uh, I can also raise my hand and admit, man, I don't know about some of those things. And so this this is just a way for us to share a little bit of maybe admitting where some things were wrong and sharing a bit of like the heart behind why we think this was taught and trying to figure out now what the heck do we do with it and how do we move on having a thriving faith uh, in spite of or with the help of some of the things that we learned and need to unlearn in youth group. And they were good intentions. It's not like people set out to tell us these bad things. No. They thought they were doing the right thing, but with time and with space, we can say, oh, that may not have been a good path. Right. And one of the things that I'm learning as a dad, and Eric, you're a little ahead of me on that path. Yes. Some of these things, they come into my parenting as well. So the things that were taught to me, I'm having to unlearn them so that I don't teach my kids the same thing as they grow up. Yeah, it's really helping us to um, really unlearn some of the default patterns, default behaviors. And I think if you're a parent in general, you kind of get it where you're like, man, I just sounded like my dad right there. I just sounded like my mom right there. Why did they say that? Do I need to say that? Is that something I want to keep going? Or is that just something that I fall back on as a default? Because I don't really know what the heck I'm doing as a parent. And so I think the same thing is true for our youth group piece, where as you walk through and you think, in my faith right now, I think you know, X, Y, or Z. Why do I think that? Oh, that's because for four, seven, 10, 12 years, I was told these little axioms that may or may not actually be something I want to continue uh, to forward into the next generation. And one of the things that makes us a little different, we talk about this in the preview episode, we're not here to deconstruct our faith and be postmodern and everything. Eric and I are active in our faith. I work with churches all across the country. Eric's on staff at a church. So we're not leaving the faith and destruct, deconstructing and unlearning our faith in a way that's negative. We're just trying to figure out the things that were taught that may not have been the healthiest so that we can redeem the good ideas and move forward in healthy ways. I know it's trendy to walk away from your faith right now and ask all these questions to feel super introspective. 
But we're going to ask those questions so we can try to find out the good out of them and where to move forward. Today's episode is one that, you know, Eric, I don't know if you dealt with this as a kid or not. The big picture is fear culture. When I was a kid, I grew up in the Church of God denomination, and that was a denomination where you could lose your faith. You could backslide. And I think I said the sinner's prayer like 32 times a day as a kid. <laughs> I was terrified that I was going to get hit by a bus or that Jesus was going to come back like 10 seconds after I looked at a girl's butt and I was going to go to hell because I hadn't had a chance to ask for forgiveness yet. You punched your ticket, buddy. Yeah, but I punched it like 32 times a day. It's not just, <laughs> please forgive me. I said the ABC prayer, Jesus, I accept, I believe, I confess, the whole thing. It wasn't just, please forgive me. I had to go through the entire thing right. internally multiple times a day, or I was worried I was going to go to hell. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, my. I mean, we talked about this in the preview episode too. My my uh, youth experience was a little different. I didn't start going to church until uh, one time as a Catholic, going to a Catholic church with my grandma in fourth grade, and then after that, it wasn't even until middle school. But all throughout that time, there was this fear, especially having that early Catholic experience of going through that service, seeing a live, not a live, but like a like a visual representation of Christ crucified on the cross in the middle of the church, and it was like blown up, like eight. 10 feet tall and me asking questions about it and then being scared to death that, Hey, this is where you're going to go when you die. And then later on as an actual student ministry pastor, um, you know, seeing and people in ministry, seeing people get baptized five, six, seven times and their excuses or the reason why is they said, Oh, well, you know, I've just, I've sinned since the last time I got baptized or, you know, they want to give their life to Christ. The same people are raising their hand or coming down to the front and saying that prayer over and over again, because not because they want to build a deeper relationship, but because they were afraid of something and that something was usually going to hell. Always. And to show fear culture even more than we already did, every Halloween there'd be a hell house. Someone in the community somewhere had a hell house at some church where they showed you all the things yes. hell would be like, and then they finally presented the gospel at the end of it. It was basically like, if you want to avoid all this terrible crap, give your life to Jesus. <laughs> There's no in-depth anything. It was all fire insurance for the sake of fire right. insurance. Well, and then think about all the times that, I don't know if you, I mean, being in the South, you've probably seen a lot of them, but the, I think they were called chick tracks from, uh, I don't know who the, what the guy's name was that put all these out, but you know, it's the thing that you would leave with your tip for the server, usually too low of a tip because you're Christian. You don't really tip that much after church and whatever, but right. But like every little cartoon was something about, you know, oh, this is little Jimmy, little Jimmy lives a life of debauchery and you know, sex and greed and, and blaspheming God. Oh, Jimmy died in a car accident. Now Jimmy's in hell. <laughs> if you don't want to go to hell, say this prayer. And you're like, oh, thanks. Have a nice day, Denny's waitress. <laughs> so I just remember seeing some of those and thinking like, well, who is now? And now you and I being in, in kind of <laughs> different uh, environments now being kind of marketers and salespeople too by trade. It's like, that's not how you market or sell a product even. Like, why would you do that? Why would anyone like you're scaring people into stuff? It just doesn't work. Maybe if you're trying to scare people into storming the Capitol and overthrowing right. the government right. or something, but to have a long-term effect on your faith, that's not going to happen. Yep, exactly. And that and that even extends into like, you know, uh, being in witnessing opportunities or talking to people about their faith, you know, not only the chick tracks, but I've been next to people who their opening line when they meet someone or they want to evangelize to them is, do you know where you're going when you die? It's like, 
I don't care who you are. <laughs> I don't know what you're, what you're – that's not a great opening line to ask me a question. And again, that sets it up that this is that the the main driver behind uh, why you want to share your faith is because of a fear of somebody else going to hell, which like we're going to talk about. That's not it, on the how to win friends and influence people list. Right. Exa- exactly. Oh, nice to meet you. Are you going to hell when you die? It, right. Yeah. And I mean – you know there are some there's some good heart behind that, which is why we'll talk about it. But in in the end, I think you know we have to do some deconstructing as to uh, why we're doing that, why that's not effective, maybe what that's done to us as adults now, and uh, and how we need to move forward. So I'm excited to talk about it. One quick thing on a fun note: back in youth camp, and I hope everyone listening has had a chance to go to youth camp at some point. Uh, there was this kid there. He was a pastor's kid. Uh, he was really funny. Uh, he was a large fellow. Uh, his shape was round like mine, but I remember two things about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had this saying where he'd say, bless God, reverend. And it was just any way, his <laughs> okay. make, way of making fun of a youth mm-hmm. pastor doing something. But then he also had this saying called where he would go, stop, drop and roll. Don't work in hell. Oh. <laughs> and I cannot shake. Stop, oh, drop man. and roll. Don't work in hell. But you have to say it with the most Southern accent you can. Hell no, becomes God, a yeah. two-syllable word. Right, yeah. I mean, it's, that's like a phrase, uh, like, bless your heart, you can only say in a southern accent to make it You can't it sound like a northerner and say, bless your heart. It doesn't work that way. Right, I just said it. It yeah, sounds it condescending as a northerner. As a southerner, right. it is condescending, but that's it sounds right. nice. That's right, exactly. All right, we've kind of laid out what this fear culture is, but what was bad about it? In your mind, where did we go wrong with it? Yeah, I think we touched on it a little bit, but, you know, again, trying to, if you want to really make change in people, um, leading with fear does not lead to lasting change. You could, you can um, intimidate, you could fear bait somebody into temporary uh, change. But if we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and helping someone go from death to life and become made new and all of those things that we associate with it, uh, that that essentially really goes in, in an opposite direction as, hey, make this, you know, sign this paper, pray this prayer, you know, do this thing because you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to go to hell. So that that was a big one for me is that shallow faith. Yeah, I think that was a piece of it, but I think, you know, that was a large piece of it. And I don't want to dismiss that, but so much of it was, it puts the focus on the wrong thing. When you're just trying to avoid hell, there's no motivation to love people. Mm -hmm. Your version of loving people is being a jerk and asking them if they're going to hell when they die. And I don't think that's what Jesus came for. Yeah, he came to save us from hell, but he came to give us life and life abundantly. Right. And it's one of those things that what's your focus and what's your priority? What's your motivation? Is your motivation to avoid something or is your motivation to go towards something? So I'll give you an example. It's totally off topic here. For me, I'm overweight. I'm a 34-year-old overweight dude. And when I think about losing weight, is it to avoid being fat or is it to play with my kids better? And playing with my kids better, the motivating factor in that, like when I think about my daughter, She's five years old. When I think about walking her down the aisle, do I want to be the round fat guy when she gets married in 20 years or do I want to look great in the suit next to her? Yeah. Or the guy, I mean, anything, you don't want to be in a walker or a cane or, you know, God forbid anything else like that. That's, that stuff gets kind of scary thinking. Right. So it's the, what do I want to be that motivates Mm -hmm. me? And so the idea of only following Jesus to avoid something is pretty useless and the byproduct of that is when your motivation is to follow Jesus to get up and go to hell, 
you're focused on following the rules and not right. screwing up instead of living in grace and trying to do things right, but knowing you're forgiven if you were to mess up. Yeah. And I think that's so, so important too, because it's, it's the, why are you following the quote unquote rules? That's the big issue, you know, because your motivation behind following those isn't out of a love, uh, isn't out of a love for Jesus, isn't out of a, you know, Hey, I understand that this is actually going to make my life better. It's like you said before, you know, it's, I'm, I don't want to screw up. I don't want to get made. I don't want to be in trouble. And like you were sharing your story is like every decision you make, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't, my, my eyes are going to, are going to be the ones that send me to hell. My, you know, whatever that is. And now you start to worry about where you're looking and all these things. Instead of worrying, um, when you turn it and instead of focus on fear, but focus on what you talked about, like what you want to be. Now there's a sense of you can thrive instead of just kind of do this fear-based uh, survival. So yeah, I, I totally agree. And you miss out on uh, a huge part of who God is and who God says he is to us and the whole love piece. I mean, how can you believe when somebody says God loves you when you're sitting here so worried that that same God is going to send you to hell? Yeah. It's the cognitive dissonance there. I don't see how you can make those two connections. Right. And another one, if we were to go on the totally opposite end of the spectrum, I came up in a tradition that says you can lose your faith. Now I believe that once you've actually given your life to Jesus, it lasts forever. But there's the other side of it that says, oh, I've got my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell, so screw ah, it. Yeah. I'm going to live my life, right. and I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. I said the prayer. I'm covered. I'm going to heaven, and I ain't got to worry about nothing. Right. And that's a totally different thing on its own that's terrible. Yeah, I'm, I think, um, and whether you want to call these like cultural Christians or not, but I, I have definitely uh, interacted with people who have a fear of God and would consider themselves maybe under the Christian umbrella. And a lot of times it's like they have a, they grew up Catholic or something like that. You know, they grew up in a, in a Catholic Baptist, something that was like a popular denominational church. And it's the same thing where, um, you know, they, they, they still know how to do all the things and bow their head and pray and stuff like that. But they're like, yeah, I mean, I said the prayer when I was younger, but it doesn't affect their life at all. Because like you said, they think I've got my ticket punched to heaven. I'm good. They're the opposite of what you grew up with, where there there is no backsliding. I have blessed assurance. I'm definitely going to heaven no matter what I do, which is uh, also problematic because it, you know, like you said, it, it it negatively influences the way that they live their life here on earth. My brother doesn't say a blessing before his meals because when he was like nine years old, oh he said gosh. the blessing for the rest of his life. So he has no need to say a prayer before a meal anymore. So is he married? Because then he tells his wife, hey, I told you I loved you once, and that's good enough. If anything changes, I'll let <laughs> he, you know. He is not. So that's a whole different story. Okay. <laughs> All right. No offense to uh, Jonathan's brother. Sorry. Okay, Eric, we've talked about the bad. What did we get right about? What was the underlying good intention that fed into this fear culture, turn or burn idea that was good, but we just got the execution wrong? Uh, yeah. Well, number one, I want to say this, um, cause I know our listeners probably come from a number of different theological backgrounds. Like I believe in, uh, in the, in the doctrine of hell, whatever you want to call it, whether it's an actual physical place, lake of fire, eternal separation from God, however you want to manifest that there is a place where we go when we die. And that's either going to be, um, in full fellowship with God or, uh, you know, basically cast away from him forever. And that, that second app part is going to be terrible. So like 
for me, I want to make sure that as we're talking about this, I'm not an advocate of saying, guys, let's just let's just throw out hell as a doctrine in general. So I think, one, we have to acknowledge for me that it's like uh, it's important that we acknowledge there is a stake at the end of our lives. There's going to be a place that you're going to go. Heaven and hell are a real place and we're all going to go one place or the other when we die. So I think that would be one part that is uh, that is good is just to acknowledge that there are stakes to this life and what you do in this life does matter in eternity. Yes. And on that, there's a book I read in seminary that I actually loved. It's called Four Views on Hell. You can get it on Amazon. It's currently uh, $7.99 on Kindle or like 14 bucks on paperback. But essentially what it does is it takes four people from four different faith backgrounds and they write up their view on hell. Mm-hmm. What's the Catholic view of hell, the evangelical, the Jewish and there's um, there's one other I can't remember what it is. And they write their view on hell, and then the other three people write a one-page rebuttal on why that person is wrong. So if you haven't studied what hell might be, this is actually a great overview, a big-picture look at what happens when we die if we don't know Jesus. It's something I wish yeah. I would have known more of when I was a kid. And it's a quick read. You can probably do it in maybe an hour, two hours tops. But I would suggest if this interests you, check that out. But like Eric said, we're going somewhere. And that motivating factor, that's why this hell culture idea, this fear culture came about. Because there's, there is some urgency. You could actually get hit by a bus tomorrow. You could have a medical issue. I was getting a haircut this morning, and my barber told me um, his grandma went to the hospital this past Saturday, and by Wednesday she was dead. Before that, she had been healthy, and it happened super fast. So those things can happen. And for us listening, we're probably 25 to 40, somewhere in there. And we still think we're a little bit invisible. But if you're in your 30s, you're starting to realize that you're not. Uh, Things are starting to hurt a little more. You're on some medication you weren't on before. And so there's a sense of urgency to this. We can't wait forever because we don't know if we'll have time for a deathbed confession. So we do have some urgency. And making that decision is important. But we can't be using fear to motivate people to make that decision. Yeah, it's not the primary thing. It's like if you went to buy a car and you were like talking about the exhaust system, you know, like that's not how you're selling this car to somebody else. You know what I mean? Yes, it's a part of the car that you definitely need to make sure that you know is there. Um, but, you know, there it's there are other aspects that I think start you off on a on a better journey. But since we're talking about what's right, what's what's right about it is the other thing is sometimes it is motivational for um, the the. I guess I would, the evangelizer, you know, the one sharing their faith because, you know, whether it's someone that you care about and you, and they've been saying, oh yeah, you know, I'll, I'll just pray the prayer right on my deathbed. Like you still have a motivation because you know, hell exists to pray for that person, to continue to talk to them, to continue to be a good example of Christ and Christ's love. uh, And to continue just to ask God, like, Hey, soften their heart, give me an opportunity. When can we chat? You know, I've got relatives that are in that same boat where it's like, as they get older, I'm starting to think, yeah, I would love to have them uh, have a, a thriving relationship with Christ. But now with, uh, you know, one in particular that's up in his 80s and 90s, it's like, oh, okay, great. I, I want to make sure that he's got short accounts and that he's uh, he's secure in, in where he's going after life as well. Because doing funerals for people uh, like I've done, and I'm, I'm sure you've either, you know, done or been a part of, it's like, it's so terrible when you have to put together words to say to someone that you know uh, was not a Christian. I haven't had to do that yet, thankfully. Um, I know it's coming and I know it'll happen, but I haven't had to do it yet. So 
Um, I can only imagine. But to switch it up a little bit, you and I are both in marketing. Mm -hmm. Another good piece of this is that there always has to be stakes. Yes, we can talk about the love of Jesus all day long, and that sounds great, and it's going to motivate some people. But if there's no cost to saying no to that, then for many, there's no reason to say yes to it either. What I tell my clients is to imagine we're baking a loaf of bread. The success is our flour, the love of Jesus, the life and life abundantly, all the things Jesus calls us to. That's our flour. We need lots and lots of flour. The failure, the hell, the place you go if you don't accept Jesus, that's the salt. And if you put too much salt in the bread, it's going to taste terrible. It's going to leave a bad aftertaste, and we're not going to want to come back to it ever again. But if we don't use any salt at all, it's going to be bland. The bread's going to be boring, and it's just going to be motivational talk with nothing there. But if we get the perfect amount of salt, it's an Olive Garden breadstick, and I can eat about a 1,000 of those at one time. <laughs> yeah. So there has to be steaks. And figuring out the balance of that comes with the relationships. And I think that's where we got it wrong 10, 15, 20 years ago is we were out of balance. Our bread was way too salty. And I think it turned off a lot of people from the gospel and from church in general. Yeah. And I think it was probably, you know, you think about how the reaction culture happens in societies as we go and, you know, think about the leadership and going like, I, I see people that are acting a certain way. I want to change them and help them change and repent from that. So now I need to tell them the stakes of how they're doing. And in some cases, yeah, for sure that works. You know, the, the idea of being uh, scared straight, you know, or they take little juvenile delinquents and put them in prisons and talk to the prisoners. Like, I'm sure that works in some cases, but to, I think uh, what we need to do to go from here is to not paint that with a broad brush, keep it as like, um, uh, who is, I think it's Matt Chandler that says this, like use it as a scalpel and not a baseball bat. So if we're going to talk about hell and we're going to talk about the stakes, like you said, with salt, maybe it's a scalpel, make it a precision instrument where for the people that need to hear that, or maybe people that are motivated by fear or of a certain age, we're uh, emphasizing the hell aspect of it. But for the people that have been literally beaten down by this their entire lives, or they're suffering from that Catholic guilt, or they have overbearing religious parents, or they went, you know, cradle to the grave, religious schooling, and are just uh, a Objecting to it, continuing to beat them with the bat of the hell and fear-based uh, theology is not going to be effective in changing. So really understanding what is the uh, the actual uh, motivation that the individual has and how can we help um, Jesus step into their lives in that way. So before we close, Eric, I want to get out of here on a high note. We like to encourage people. If someone's listening to this and this was their childhood, this was growing up, this is the belief they're holding on to today, and they're still saying the sinner's prayer mm -hmm. a thousand times a day like I was, and they're scared they're going to get hit by a bus, what would you say to that person listening today? Yeah, two things I want to say to you. One is... Um, because uh, I get this rebuttal all the time. Well, look at the Psalms, look at the Proverbs, all this stuff. And they talk about the fear of the Lord, you know, as it leads to understanding or is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, and I, I just need you to evaluate that word for a second. Okay. Because yes, yes, we should fear God. 
but that means having a reverence and an awe for him in the same way as I fear fire. Like I have a mutual respect for the power that it has to consume me if I'm not careful with it. But that does not mean that I need to be afraid of something, that it's dangerous or it's painful or it's threatening. So that's number one, uh, is that word fear and changing that because God doesn't call us to have a spirit of fear, right? Or timidity, but to, uh, you know, to think of him in that reverence and awe. And the second part is, is you need to read more about God and how he loves you and understand his love for you, how he created you, how he knew every piece of you before you were even born. And he's called you really, if we just cut the crap, he's called you to a bigger life than being afraid of where you go when you die. And if you're interested in that, find a local life-giving church, send us an email, do something because we'd love to help you connect and come back to a faith uh, that can be real, that can be thriving, and that can really make your life feel better um, in the long run. I think my encouragement would be that Jesus came to give life and life abundantly, and the thief came to still kill and destroy. I think what happens a lot of times is because Satan can't change what is true. He can only distort it and how we understand it. And not that our youth leaders were satanic or anything like that, but I think there was some influence that may not have been the holiest of influence that has come into our minds to destroy the gospel in a way that we don't actively want to follow Jesus. It makes us not want to follow him. Sure. So what I would say to you is Jesus himself said he came to give you life and life abundantly. Right. So is fearing where you're going at the end of the day, giving you life and life abundantly? If it's not, I would change your perspective. I'd have a conversation with someone, contact us if you want, but I would want to talk to somebody about that because that's not how Jesus wants you to live. It's not how he trained his disciples or taught us to live. So I would not want you to go through life living like that anymore. At the end of the day, what we want you to know at the, after listening to this is Jesus loves you. Yes, there are stakes when we die. We will all go somewhere, but you don't have to worry about where that is if you put your faith in Jesus, because thankfully he has told us what it would be. We are forgiven. We are going to heaven. We don't have to say the sinner's prayer a thousand times a day, and you can go out and live a great life and enjoy it and have all the benefits and the fun and the beauty that a life following Jesus actually brings. But that's it for episode one. We have seven more episodes this season. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate us, review us, share it with a friend if you liked it. We will be back next week. We're talking about all of our favorite Christian cuss words and all the good, bad, and ugly that came with that. But for now, I hope you have a great week.